Good morning. Our scripture this morning is taken from the fourth chapter of Colossians, uh, verses 2 through 18. This may be found, be found in your pew Bibles on page 202 of the New Testament section. Devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us as well as, the, as well that God may, will open us to us the door of, for the word, that we may declare the mystery of Christ for which I am in prison, so that I may reveal it clearly as I should. Conduct yourself wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech be, speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a, a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your, your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, the faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, greets you. These are the only ones of the circumcision among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. He is always wrestling in his prayers on your behalf so that you may stand mature and fully assured in everything that God wills. For I testify for him that he has worked hard for you in everything that, oh, excuse me, for I testified for him that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters of Laodicea and to Nympha, the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it read also in the church of, of the Laodiceans. And see that you read also the letter from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, see that you complete the task that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be to you. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Don't you just want to give Phil an applause for getting through that passage of Scripture? Well done, Philip. I saw his lovely bride yesterday at a funeral, and she said to me, Phil's at home working at the, on the Scripture for tomorrow. And it dawned on me that I hadn't even thought about it beforehand, 
that there are a number of really tricky words in this, and I've been reading this for a while, right? So I, I sit by, oh yeah, that's right, that's a tough one. So anyway, well done, good and faithful servant. So join with me in a word of prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come now today to, to hear this amazing message. So simple, and yet it gets to the very core of who we are, what we're called to be, and where we find our joy. So use all of your power, the movement of your spirit, everything we've brought with us to this moment, and I'll let it come into contact with the power and joy of your word. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, we are at the end of our Colossians series. We've been walking through Colossians for the last five weeks. Hopefully you've gained an appreciation for this book. I know that I have even more than I had before we began this series. Uh, throughout these five weeks, we've taken a look at the power of affirmation in the Christian community. We've talked about how the power of our faith in the Holy Spirit keeps us connected with people who are separate from us, maybe miles away, or going through circumstances far different than our own. It's the power of the Spirit that keeps us in community that our life is shaped by our destination. What I'm doing today is not only about today, it is exactly setting up the foundation of where I'm going and how the faith allows us to have a very clear understanding of how to live today because of where we'll be tomorrow. And we talked last week about the context of holy relationships, the power that comes in those very difficult words we find in, in the chapter, end of chapter 3, and understand that it's not about women being submissive to men. and all, It's actually about the fact that we are called to be with each other and to each other in a new way. In a way in which the world does not understand. And which is far greater and transforming than we oftentimes give those words credit for. Well, that's where we've been. And we come to the end of Colossians. And if you've read all the rest of Paul's letters, you might expect, well, here it comes. Now we're going to get this great theological discussion about what he thinks is right and how we are supposed to think as Christians. But if you want that, you're not going to find it in Colossians. You're going to have to go to Romans or elsewhere. You might be thinking, well, he's going to end with this great warning. He sometimes comes to the church and says, now listen, y'all, basically, if you don't straighten up and fly right, and here's what you need to do. Paul could do that, but he doesn't do it in Colossians. Instead, he comes to the end of Colossians and writes on two very simple, basic, key pieces of faith. The first is prayer, the second is friends. About the prayer, he says very simply and fairly quickly, devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. And his encouragement for us to be devoted to prayer, what he is not saying is, don't forget to say, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food, amen. It's not what he's encouraging us to remember, though that's not all bad. He's not encouraging us to remember the Lord's prayer and say it at least once or five times daily, though, again, not a bad thing to do. Now, what he's saying when he's talking about being devoted to prayer is not a legalism of how often you do it. But it's rather the posture you have when you are in prayer. And that posture is to be sold out, committed to it. 
It is to understand that those that we have in our life and those situations we have in our life and the reality of the world around us are not called to be casually passed in front of God, but rather put in front of God with a devotion and a passion and a consistency with a belief that if we remain faithful in that prayer, God will indeed speak and act. And we're called to do that not just when crisis comes. How many of you have had moments of your life where, whatever it is, maybe a job situation, maybe it's a relationship issue, maybe it's a friendship, maybe it's an illness, whatever it is, the crisis in your life at that moment just drives you to your knees and you begin praying like you have never prayed before. Anybody else ever been there? What Paul is saying here is that should be the way we pray. That's how our prayer stance is called to be, with a passion and a, and a verve and a desire to make sure we're going to stay in this wrestling match with God until God acts and speaks and we are confirmed. Not in the sense that we get our way, but in the way we understand that God is indeed having God's way, and that's okay with me. So as you're thinking about your prayer life this week, oh, prayer life. Yeah, no, that's not the thing you pray when you look in your rearview mirror and see the state police car pull in right behind you. When you no, that's not that prayer. It's the prayer you pray before you get vertical in the morning. It's the prayer you pray during the day, and it's the prayer you pray before you pass out at night. Tenaciously daring boldly to put in front of God that which is in your path, that which is in your vision, and to trust in God. It's a simple message, right? I mean, you're not surprised to hear the preacher say this. You're not surprised to hear Paul say it. And yet, is it not true that message somehow still eludes us? Are you as devoted in your prayer life as you ought to be? Then come teach me because I'm not. I'm the professional prayer. But what I've come to discover is that God is not really taking a look at those prayers I pray just because you're all cowards and won't do it. You know, oh, Rick's in the room. Would you pray for us, Rick? Well, yes, I'll pray for you, but you realize my prayer's got no more chutzpah than yours, right? No, when I'm praying professionally, even passionately, that's not what God is asking of me alone. He's asking for my personal prayers. And I struggle to do that at times because, well, why? I'm busy. I got stuff to do. I prayed yesterday, I think. You know what I mean? And yet, what our life would be like and what the church would be like if, in fact, we were devoted to prayer. Simple message of what he says in the Colossians. And I think there's a reason that the next thing he says is about this other very important part of all of our life. It's our friends. Paul gives a list of the names of some of his friends here at the end of Colossians. You heard... Philip go through them. Now, I want to suggest to you, these are not Paul's Facebook friends. 
How many of you are on Facebook? How many of you know how many friends you have on Facebook? How many of you know all of your friends on Facebook? I go to my friends thing, I look up and go, really? You know, partially Laura's taken over my Facebook with my permission because I'm so done with Facebook. So their name, I don't know who that person is. But we have all a bunch of friends on our Facebook list, and some of them we're in a connection with, and some of them we went to high school with, I think maybe as a sophomore in English. I don't know. No, it's not the Facebook friends. These are his friends. These are his friends who know the truth of his life today. These are Paul's friends who have walked with him, know what he's going through in the now. These are friends. And the listening of these friends tells us something very important about the character of Christian friendship and its critical nature in our faith walk. Tychicus. If you don't have your Bible in front of you, pick it up and turn to page 202 if you're using the Pew Bible. You've got you to have your Bible open for this one. So, Drew, stand up. Come over here next to me, right about here. This man, formerly known as Drew, is now called Tychicus. Everyone say hi, Tychicus. Everyone say hi, Tychicus. There you go. Do you feel welcome, Tychicus? I know you do. Tychicus is the messenger. Tychicus is the one whom Paul, in prison, turned to and said, I need this letter taken there. Would you take it for me? Now, I'm not talking about go down to the post office. I'm not saying when you drive through Waterford, stop by. I want you from Rome to get over to Colossae and take this letter. This was an adventure. This was a journey. This was a mission. And Tychicus is the one who did it. Oh, oh by the way, he also took the letter to Ephesians. Why does that matter? It tells us a great deal about the relationship. This is the letter you and I now know as Holy Scripture, as Colossians and Ephesians. And I'm going to trust him to get it to where it has to get to. What does that say about this relationship? Trusting. Dependable. He's courageous. He's ability to navigate travel which in that day was no small feat. Also, it says that Tychicus is the one who can tell you about me. He's not just taking the letter. It says in the Scripture, right? Do you see it? Tychicus will tell you. See, it's not just the letter that he carries. It is the knowledge that he knows about Paul, and he's going to share that. He's the witness that brings the message. He's the messenger an important person in our life, are those people who tell the stories that we need to pass on. We trust them because they're going to get the story right. They're not going to embellish it to put themselves a center star. How many of you have been reading about Tychicus a lot in your life? No one, because he knew it wasn't about him. So you got Tychicus, an important friend. Don't go anywhere, Tychicus. We need you. We're not going to be done with you for a second. 
Onesimus. Onesimus. Hey, Onesimus. Onesimus. Come here, Onesimus. So everyone say hi to Onesimus. There you go. Onesimus. Where have you heard about Onesimus before? Huh? Onesimus? Boy, we got to get some Bible classes going in here. How many of you have ever heard about the book Philemon? Just say yes. <laughs> Go with me, okay? Come on. Well, in Philemon, it's a letter that Paul wrote to this slave owner named Philemon. And so Onesimus might be a former slave. Thank you, Jesus. It's a former slave. <laughs> Onesimus, we know about from the book of Philemon. I guess I'm preaching that next summer. Onesimus is a slave who ran away from Philemon. Now, I want to say real quickly, you've got to throw away all of your American understanding of slavery out the door. It wasn't that it wasn't possibly about race. It could have been, but it wasn't automatically in the first century. Mostly it was about economic differences between layers of society. Okay? So what we know about Onesimus is that he was a slave, which meant he would have been in the lower economic strata of the culture. He ran away. All those reasons aren't really clear to us, by the way. But somehow we know he is still involved in faith because he ran to Paul for help. And Paul said, you got to go back. And he did. And he told Philemon what to do with the runaway slave, which was to receive him as a brother. And now by the time this book is written, Onesimus obviously has become a leader of the church. He's had some drama in his life. He's gone through stuff. And now he's one who's helping to lead the church. That's Onesimus. Herostarchus, the next one. Come here, Herostarchus. Well, you set up in front, you just never know what's going to happen. Herostarchus, why don't you go on the other side of Onesimus there? Herostarchus, do you have a friend who's been with you a long time? I mean, who knows stuff from way back when? Who maybe remembers you from school? When you had young children? Whatever. You shared life together. Heresychus was with Paul when he was shipwrecked at Malta. He's been on Paul's missionary journeys with him. He's seen the witnesses. He's been through the trials that Paul went through. You have someone like that in your life? Aristarchus was one of those for Paul. And now he's in prison with Paul. You have somebody in your life you'd be willing to go to prison with for a holy cause? You'd be willing to sit by their bedside as they go through it again. You'd walk with them in the trauma of the ups and downs of their life. Do you have that person with you? 
Paul did. Aristarchus was that one. And so when he's going through those dark nights in a prison cell in Rome, he wasn't going through it alone. I'll give the front row people a break. Come here, Mark. Come here, Mark. Come on, Mark. Give it up for Mark, everybody. You're Mark. You're going to be Mark. You're going to come all the way up here. I know you're not really Mark. But this is, for right now, you're Mark. All right? Now, this is Mark. Come over here, right next to Tychicus here, because he needs a friend. Mark was related, connected to Barnabas. The scripture tells you that, right? It also tells you that at one point, Mark and Paul were estranged from each other. They weren't together at all. Mark didn't want to be a part of what Paul was about in one place, and they separated ways. Have you ever had a friend separate from you before? Did it break your heart a little? Broke Paul's. And yet now here in this book, we discover that Mark has come back. Paul's come to him. We don't know how the reconciliation all occurred, but they're now back together again. Mark becomes a symbol for all of us who have friends we are strange with, friends we're in a battle with, friends we think have left us behind and we left them behind. There's still possibility. Those friendships have the possibility of being restored. That's what Mark means for us. Come on, Justice. Come on, Justice. This is, everyone say hi to Justice. <laughs> Would you stand over there, Justice? Here's what we know about Justice. He was a Jew. He was a Jew. Mark was a Jew. And you were a Jew. The only three Jews in Paul's group. All the rest were Gentiles because his missionary was to the Gentiles. But he had three friends who were Jews who stayed with him from the old days, from the old faith. The only thing we know about Justice is two things. He's a Jew, so he had this in common with Paul, he had this friendship. He also had the most unfortunate name in all of Scripture because his name was Jesus Justice. You think about that in the first century. He walks into a room and someone says, hey, Jesus is here, and everybody gets up. And now it's Jesus Justice, not the main one. You know that commercial where the guy's name is Michael Jordan, but it's not Michael Jordan? The disappointment set up for the rest of his life. Every time he walks in the room, people go, it's Jesus! It's just Jesus' justice on their mind. But it mattered to Paul. It mattered to Paul because he got listed in the list. Not other people knew much about him, but he did. All right, Philip, for all your hard work, stand up, Philip. Epaphras, come on up. Come over here, Epaphras. Here's what we know about him. leader in the church, a leader in the church in Colossae. He's a Colossian. He's a hometown boy. And he's coming to lead that congregation. 
parenthetically, you probably should have been because you're the hometown boy and you're preaching these people. There's nobody worse in the world to preach to than people who remember you in diapers. It is a tough gig. <laughs> but he's come home. And he's come to share the good news. He's come to represent Paul. Jack, come here, Demas. I have a hard time picking Jack for this one because I actually like Jack. <laughs> He's a good golfer, too. But I like Jack, but the, here's the problem. As Demas, he and Paul at that moment were in a good relationship. But he's the one who forsake Paul. He's the one who later on would turn his back on Paul and abandon him. He symbolizes those in your life who will break your heart because that will happen. There will be people in your life that you will pour your love into and they won't stick around and it will break your heart and it won't happen. It's a part of the journey of faith. Anybody had their heart broken by a friend? Anybody break somebody's heart? Paul's being truthful here because he could have been edited out, but he didn't because in this moment they're still friends. All right, Nympha, stand up. Come on, Nympha, right here. What do we know about her? Well, not much, except that she had a house church, meaning she had a church that met in her house. And no other man is attached to her name, which in first century would have been so weird. So she's the oddball in a wonderful way. She's probably a widow with some means and a deep faith. She opens up her house to the community. We get everybody? Luke. Oh, do I have Luke? I don't have Luke. Come here, Jim. Be Luke real for me. We got Luke. Who's Luke? He's a doctor. What did Luke do? Matthew, Mark. He wrote the Gospel of... Oh, you're getting good. He not only wrote the Gospel of Luke, he wrote the book of Acts. If it weren't for him, we wouldn't know anything about the history of the early church. But take a look at these friends up here. Take a look at all of them. Look at how different they are. A messenger. Who's Onesimus? Who's Onesimus? No, I'm asking, who played Onesimus for me? Which one of you is Onesimus? Were you Onesimus? You, that's what I thought. Onesimus, someone of poverty, standing next to Nympha, a woman of wealth. Jews and Gentiles. You see what I'm saying? They didn't come from the same hometown. They didn't come from the same neighborhood. What brought those people together? The relationship with Paul is cemented in the power and the movement of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. Christian community was never intended to become a Christian bubble. Let's just make sure we have all of our Christian friends who vote the way we do and look the way we do and like this. No. Because the faith calls you to get out into the world and to expand your life and expand your reach and expand 
those whom you love and you are loved by. And when those people begin to love you and you love them and you share that in the power of Jesus Christ, it becomes an amazing family of faith. That is the church. Paul ends Colossians in this way as a message to the church for all times. Quit being a friendly church. The world doesn't need a friendly church. That's a bunch of crap if you think that's your goal. The church needs friends. The church needs people who are willing to take the time to really get to know them and tell them your story and become their friends because the world is so lonely. This past week, I was watching the news, and I had to turn up the volume to make sure I was hearing it right. A local television station was taking a segment of its airtime to tell people how to make friends. Join a club. If you get asked to go somewhere with somebody, go. Maybe invite somebody to go play. I mean, the stuff we're all supposed to know and the stuff none of us do. And some of you have a lot of friends and some of us don't have many at all. But the church is always called to be a place where folks become friends in the name of Jesus. And then everything else about Colossians we've been talking about comes together in the fullness. So take a look at these friends up here. It is in the name of Jesus Christ they got brought together. And for the sake of this one guy named Paul, that they were willing to put their lives out there and live in a new way. Who are your friends in the name of Jesus? Who are those whom you are connected to by a power far greater than your own and theirs, but it's Christ? And who in your life is so lonely? They just need someone to be their holy friend. Paul, in writing this great book, lifts up this motto in front of the early church. And he says to them in this final verse, thinking of the friends, thinking of everything else he's taught them, he says, by the way, remember this. I'm writing this greeting to you in my own hand. It's as personal as it can get. Remember my chains, where I am, what I'm going through, as I remember what you're going through. And finally, in the name of Jesus Christ and in the covenant of friendship and faith, grace be with you. Share that with your friends this week and give them the good news. For it's a powerful witness and one so desperately needed. Amen. Thank you, folks.